Banda About podcast series. Joining me in the engine room today is a musician who is one of Australia's most promising young drummers. He has been the recipient of many prestigious awards, performed with many renowned artists, and in 2019, he performed in over 20 countries during a 10-month tour. It is my great pleasure to welcome Alex Flood. Hello. Welcome, Alex, and thank you for making time to chat with me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Adelaide. Okay. And what area did you grow up in? I grew up in the inner southern suburbs, so Kingswood, kind of Unley area, is where where I'm from, where I've always kind of been located. Right. And where did you go to school? I went to Mitcham Primary School, so just yeah, just up the road from where I where I kind of lived. Excellent. Do either of your parents have a musical background, or anyone else in your family? Um, my parents, not so much. Um, my mum uh, would have played piano when she was uh, much younger, and my I think at some stage my sister maybe uh, had a few years of piano lessons, but. Um, really the only kind of um, significant, uh, I guess, um, uh, member of my family who, who's uh, had some sort of musical background was my grandfather, who I never met. He, he passed away well before I was born, many years before I was born, but he was an opera singer um, and he studied at the conservatory here many, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, studied studied the, I, did, I guess it was the classical voice um, degree and he was, uh, yeah, he was quite a quite a great opera singer. Oh, excellent. So what led or who influenced you to start playing drums? Um I actually started playing drums for uh for the reason that is not uh not not I guess the most common reason for starting starting to learn an instrument. So my a few of my best friends when I was very young, when I was about 8 years old, a few of my best friends would get to leave class uh, once a week and they, they would go off together, um, learn some music and then come back. Uh, so I wanted to do the same. I wanted to get to leave class with my friends uh, and go play music. Or I guess I was less interested <laughs> in, the, in the music side of it at that stage. It was more just let's get out of class for half an hour. Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, I signed up for music lessons, but because the, they were having joint lessons, uh, I was I was paired with another kind of student who was who was starting that following year as well. So I wasn't even paired with my friends. <laughs> I was paired with someone else, which I guess in a way, uh, well, in many ways, was was a good thing because that meant that I wasn't at, as distracted with my friends and I was kind of just there to play music and I think very, very quickly just fell in love with it and uh, continued it right through. Excellent. So when did you get your first drum set? It wasn't too long after. I I would say probably uh, maybe six to 12 months after I started having lessons. Um, My first teacher, Jim McCarthy, we spent a lot of time and this is – yeah, I, I fully support uh, why we spent so much time on the practice pad, but we spent so much time in the, the initial stages of lessons just on a practice pad. And um, and so I hadn't even kind of, uh, you know, the first six months, I, I literally hadn't even played on a drum kit. And 
while that may seem <laughs> like a, a bit rough, just making a, making a young student play on a pad for six months, it was actually really, really great. So yeah, probably after six months or so, once I moved on to the kit, I think, uh, I think my dad bought me a kit. Um, might've been a birthday present. I actually, uh, can't remember what the occasion was. Maybe it was just a, uh, maybe it was just a surprise. I can't remember. <laughs> okay. No worries. Oh, that's good. Uh, you just mentioned your first teacher. Was Joel Prime your second teacher? He was. Yep. Joel Joel was my teacher um, kind of through the end of my primary schooling into um, into high school. So obviously I moved schools and then I continued privately with Joel um, for a few years. And then he moved to London uh, where he's still, he's, he's thriving over there now, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I had probably four to five years of lessons with him, which was, um, kind of, I see that as being the biggest, um, kind of, he was the biggest sculptor of, of my playing, I suppose, the biggest influence at that time. Yeah. Broadened your musical influences, didn't he? Totally. Yeah, totally. He, um, he introduced me, he, he was really the first one that introduced me to listening to music or at least actively, uh, you know, as an activity, sitting down to listen to music and, and, uh, kind of opened, opened up that, um, that side of things. So yeah, one day he, he kind of gave me a USB with maybe a hundred songs on it. And, um, and I just listened to those hundred songs over and over and over for probably 12 months. Uh, Mm. so I got to know them very, very well. Um, and, and kind of, obviously once you've heard something a few times and you keep listening back to it, you hear more intricate kind of uh, maybe detailed parts of the recording and you hear other elements and you kind of hear things on another level when you're, when you're uh, really actively kind of listening and, and uh, kind of repetitively listening, I suppose, as well. You pick up on a lot. So that was huge for my learning, but also just developing more of an awareness of musicality in general and and kind of uh moving moving more into just a musical mindset as opposed to just a drum kind of mindset yeah and this is when you began to add percussive instruments to your playing as well wasn't it yeah it it was around around the time um that I was learning with with Joel in fact I actually started I think before Joel was my drum teacher I had a year of lessons with Jim, who who was my first drum teacher. Uh, but I had a I had a lesson of uh, sorry a year of mallet percussion lessons as well. So I was learning drums mm-hmm. and mallet percussion with Jim. Um, that was the first kind of um, yeah taste of of anything else outside of drum kit, and it was great because obviously that involves you know uh, a whole different um, way of approaching music because uh, it's not just you know kick snare cymbal it's uh you know scales and and harmony and and kind of thinking of things that way so I had to had to learn how to read that sort of music had to learn kind of my way around the keyboard but then um then when I continued with Joel because Joel was also um quite a uh well he was an excellent um percussionist as well as a drum kit player so um and he was very passionate about that side of things so he introduced me, um, well, I don't know if he directly introduced me, but I think I, I just um, kind of saw that he was doing things with, with percussion instruments and, and doing recordings and videos and whatnot. So that kind of triggered a bit of a, an interest. And then through kind of early high school, I started, um, 
I, I had a, I had a teacher, a different teacher, so my third teacher, Paul Backman. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, he kind of continued that uh, with me. So we were doing more kind of orchestral percussion, timpani and snare drum stuff, and um, continued my marimba, like my my mallet percussion lessons. And um, yeah, then then kind of took things into my own hands, I guess to to learning a bit more about um, non-Western uh, styles of music and instruments and techniques for things like mm. congas and, and djembe and eventually a whole uh, a whole list of other other instruments as well. But, um, yeah, it all kind of started around that time, kind of late primary school, early, early high school. Okay. So after high school you went to the, the con, is that right? Yep. Yep, straight after high school, I that was uh, I guess at the time that felt like the most logical thing to do. All my friends, or at least the friends that were kind of serious about music, they were all kind of doing the same thing, and we all uh, went went to the con together and uh, had a great time there. Had a great three years of <laughs> intense like kind of bebop uh, learning, um, which was yeah that kind of really kicked my kicked my butt and also helped help me find my own, um, you know, I guess find my own sound a little bit more and help me kind of um, be a little bit more confident with the, the path that I wanted to kind of continue with and how I wanted to, uh, yeah, continue on after that. So that, that, was, that was a great time to, to kind of work out what kind of, what direction you want to go because it's so, so hard to, can be so hard to pinpoint that. It's just... Uh, sometimes you just yeah. have no idea what kind of direction or where you want to go, what you want to do, what you want to sound like, who you want to play with, that sort of thing. So yeah, that that was a um, kind of a bit more of a um, stage of refining that that side mm-hmm. of things. Okay, and you completed your bachelor of music in jazz performance in two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, my final year was two thousand and seventeen, and then I graduated. I didn't do the honors. Um, because I felt at the time, which I still, I guess I still feel the same way, but I, I'd, I felt I had had enough of being in a kind of, um, an education, I suppose, environment as far as, um, you know, studying full time. I'd done that since I was five. <laughs> I hadn't had a break from yeah. that. So it was time for time for a break. And yeah, I, I haven't obviously had any formal, uh, education since then, but I, yeah, finished up in 2017 and then sort of. Uh, have just been working, uh, working, playing music and teaching music ever since then. Excellent. Now, was Eraser Description the first band that you joined? Um, it wasn't the first band that I joined. There was a few. Uh, in high school, I had a, I guess it was kind of like a school band, but it was not really part of the school music curriculum. It was sort of a Sort of a school band, but sort of also external. So it was with some friends from school, um, Jordan Noble, who's who's a great saxophone player. I still play with him, and I still um, kind of we yeah we've kind of known each other since since uh, two thousand when would it have been two thousand ten? <laughs> we've known each other mm-hmm. since, and uh, we started a little jazz quartet, just like kind of early, early, very green uh, kind of young high school kids trying to play swing. Um, so that was fun, but, mm-hmm. but we, yeah, we, um, we had a, th- a few kind of corporate bookings here and there that we were able to, um, you know, go out of school and, and 
plate of, I don't know, like a, a Melbourne Cup lunch or some little uh, thing at the Adelaide Town Hall, just little little kind of corporate gigs. And that was great to do when you're, when you're that age because um, it's a whole world that you haven't experienced before. So being able to get a bit of a taste of it then and then obviously as you kind of progress and, and get older and start getting booked for more, that just becomes very uh, – you just yeah do lots of those sorts of things. So that was my yeah. first taste of that was with that band, and then towards the end of high school, myself, Hayden King, Emil Rioc, uh, Dylan Kirshner or Dylan Paul, and Ben Finnis had a band called uh, Ferguson Square, mm-hmm. and uh, that was kind of like a funk fusion band because I guess at that time uh, we were all I guess we were all really into that music. And that was a mixture of covers and original stuff. And then, yeah, from, from then I guess it was just a lot of bits and bobs and things until Eraser came along and that was, I guess, uh, the next kind of most substantial band that I was a part of or that, that I kind of, um, yeah, have been a member of. So Yeah, excellent. So what was your first major gig? Oh, first major gig. I guess um, apart from all the small little things like either within school or outside of school, first major gig when I was 16, uh, so 2000 and I think it was 2012, <laughs> give or take. Yeah. Uh, 2012, I entered a there's, a, there's a big drum festival over in Melbourne called uh, the Australia's Best Up and Coming Drummer. Mm-hmm. Um Sorry, not sorry. That's the competition. The festival is the Australia's Ultimate Drummers Weekend, and there's a competition attached to the festival called the Australia's Best Up and Coming Drummer. They have three categories: junior, intermediate, and open open age category. So in 2012, I entered like video submission for the um, for the intermediate, which is I think 16 and under um, age category. And anyway, I was selected for the top three, and they they fly you over to Melbourne and you perform. Um, in front of a panel of kind of A-list uh, international drummers. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I got invited over, was able to perform in front of um, some some pretty big name um, drummers who I've always really looked up to and I actually won the won the competition. So that was, um, that was so my I first think. big, that was the first time that I felt just sick to my stomach with nerves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the, the, the worst feeling I've ever had <laughs> from stage, uh, I guess, stage fright. But um, I was 16, so I guess that's to be expected. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a memorable gig story, good or bad, that you'd like to share? A memorable gig story? Um, yeah, I mean, th- I mean, there's lots of... That's the thing. There's so many that it's that it's hard to think think of specific ones. Yeah. There's one that came to mind, uh, one that comes to mind. I was doing a show with I was filling in in um, Hugh Sheridan's band, who's um, who was that actor in uh, what was it? Pack to the Rafters. <laughs> oh, I was yeah, filling yeah. in. Uh, it was just a convention. Uh, sorry, an uh, Adelaide Oval kind of lunch or something. I don't know what it was. Just a, a corporate gig. And um, I was filling in um, and we were in the green room and there was a big coffee machine in the green room. This is when I was, again, about, I don't know, 17, 16, 17. Mm. Um, so, yes, still still very green <laughs> with this whole uh, working musician thing. Uh, 
and then the bass player, who's a good friend of mine, he um, he went up to the coffee machine, uh, tried to make a coffee, didn't attach the parts correctly. It was one of those big kind of industrial, um, you know, cafe restaurant, mm. uh, massive machines. I don't know what he did, but he didn't. He did something incorrectly, attached something incorrectly, uh, pressed the start button, and the coffee came spurting out like all the ground beans uh, mixed with obviously hot water came spraying out and we're all wearing suits like white shirts suits oh. I was in the firing line so I copped uh, black coffee down my white shirt right before we had oh, the play no. uh, so I did did the gig with um, kind of a, a black and white spotty shirt or more, <laughs> more, more like brown and white I guess brown and white spotted shirt um, yeah that that's one that comes to mind um, there's a, yeah there's a lot of a lot of funny things that, that happen at gigs, but. Oh, dear, yeah, that would have been um, interesting. Very <laughs> embarrassing. And also everyone else was uh, like it was, um, you know, everyone else was people that I looked up to and people who were older than me and, and a lot more experienced. So it was, it was quite embarrassing but very funny at the same time. Mm. Now, I believe that you recorded and produced your first album, Heartbeat at Home. I did. Yeah, I did. Basically, ever since that drum competition or those few drum competitions that I entered, I've been, because uh, part of that process was obviously recording yourself, which Joel Prime, uh, my one of my early drum teachers, he um, kind of, I guess, helped me learn about that and he, he uh, really helped start that passion, I suppose. But I became very um, interested in, in recording and um, the actual production side of making music. So yeah, early on I I kind of invested in some budget microphones and uh and some some kind of uh you know, recording equipment whatever whatever um, all the stuff I needed to record some drums was. And yeah, just started uh I guess practicing recording, making just drum covers when I was younger and then that kind of just developed, evolved and I really fell in love with it and really kind of began to um, refine my skills and my my knowledge, and it actually became um, or has become quite a another kind of creative outlet for me. So then, a few years ago, I started also getting a bit more um, serious and a bit more intentional about um, the music I was composing um, and producing, and so that kind of all just mashed into uh, me wanting to make it make an album, make a kind of a document of recordings of things that I was interested in at the time and, and, and wanting to explore more um, kind of into those things. And, and that was, yeah, that was really an experiment um, to start off with, which kind of evolved into a release, into an album. Yeah. Excellent. In 2019, you joined the Australian performance company Gravity and Others Myths on a 10-month global tour performing in over 20 countries across Europe and Asia. What were some of the highlights from that tour? Um, some of the highlights, the whole thing was pretty, um, yeah, was was a, a pretty unreal experience. It was, um, it was very much a, it felt very much like a long paid vacation because, um, mm. yeah, we just got to go all over the place. But um, I guess part of my role in that show I was the only musician. I was the the kind of I guess music director, but the the one kind of running the the music technology. I was playing live drums, but 
uh, also operating a laptop and Ableton loops and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, that was all very much just you start, you do it, and and that's that's done. I didn't really need to do practice on that or I didn't need to work on that. I didn't need to refine that once I was there on the tour. So for me, it was just rock up, do the gig, go home. But around that, I had so much free time that I was able to really, uh, as I said, kind of be a be a bit more of a tourist um, and mm. kind of just enjoy a lot of time off, which was really nice. Um, that was, yeah, kind of, uh, I guess, 12 months or a bit more than 12 months after finishing uni. So to just go from studying for my whole life to uh, a year of just teaching and working to basically a, a yeah big big trip overseas, um, being able to perform but also just uh, be a tourist and experience all different places and, and cities and people and cultures and languages was really special. So the free time, yeah, the free time was a, was a really, um, what's the word? I guess a really uh, big part of that um, and what made mm. that so enjoyable because, again, it was just <laughs> it felt like a big holiday. But, um, yeah, no, great, great. Um, a great gig definitely was a very significant gig to have. So very, very fortunate yeah. to have had that opportunity. And I believe that your favourite place during that tour was London. What was it appealed to you the most there? Um, it was the, I think, a, uh, a mix of a mix of different things, but we were there for the longest amount of time. So a, a lot of the destinations we, or a lot of the cities we performed at was, you know, just one show. And so we might fly in the day before, set up the, the show in the theatre, do the show the next day and then leave the next morning. So a lot of it was, was very short stay. However, London, we did the Underbelly Festival. So that was, um, I think we did about six weeks worth of shows and had a week, uh, a week um, there before the, sh- the um, season and a week after. So we were there for um, about two months. So really got to, uh, I guess, f- get a bit more of an idea, um, a better kind of, a better idea of the city and the kind of experiences there and just felt a bit more at home, I suppose, because of the routine that we developed. We were in a, a house rather than just hotels. Um, so it felt a lot more homey. It felt a lot more kind yeah. of accommodating. And and I just really loved the, I don't know, the vibe of the city and the all the the things to see and do, but as well as uh, on, a, on a kind of more creative musical side of things, um, I really like a lot of the kind of new jazz stuff coming out of London at the moment and a lot of my favourite um, producers and, and uh, some of my favourite musicians and stuff are all kind of from London or, or making music in London. So it's quite a hub of, um, of yeah, creative stuff. Excellent. Now, after that, you stayed away for a bit longer, didn't you? Did you go over to America and then end up going on a cruise is that what I um read? I did do yeah I did do a cruise that was actually before the tour so oh, it was 2019 before, right. was a was a yeah the, the tour was um you know 10 months give or take but either side of that I spent some time in America um so before the tour at the beginning of 2019 I went over um I had some grant funding to go over and, and kind of um see a bunch of shows and festivals and have some lessons and things like that. Mm. So that was like a, I guess, another period of study, but in a way, yeah, it was, it was, um, I was able to kind of go over and just experience 
the live music scene and and spend some time with some really incredible people. And that was my first time in the States. Then I did the, yeah, the cruise, which was the Blue Note Jazz Cruise. So kind of um, obviously the Blue Note um, is a kind of very renowned uh, jazz club in New York, but also um, I think there's one in, uh, I think there's one in Milan. I think there's one in, don't quote me on this, maybe Japan or um, China. There's Blue Notes mm-hmm. um, kind of across across the world. So, and yeah, I had I had seen some shows at the Blue Note New York and then I went on the cruise. So that was just a week of basically being stuck on a ship with all your uh, biggest heroes, all your favorite musicians, or all my favorite musicians, um, and being able to obviously see, see them all perform and there was uh, kind of bunch of different venues on the ship so it was essentially 24 hours of music and you know choose what you want to see at any time but also running into people all the time and and uh the, you know they're very much there to just hang out and and chat to people and stuff so that was a really great opportunity to spend a bit more um bit more time with people that I obviously obviously uh outside of that environment wouldn't necessarily have a chance to spend time with so through that, I was able to spend um, spend some time with Christian Scott Atunda Ajua, who's um, become a very big mentor of mine and a really significant kind of role model in my in my music, but but also my just career and yeah, has been really pivotal in in helping me navigate these next stages of my my career. But he um, he was on the ship, and and so I played him uh, played him some of the music. Uh, like he listened to some of the music that I was working on at the time, which uh, had, um, which evolved into that album that we mentioned before. So, yeah, um, that was that was kind of the turning point in that he he wanted to um, bring me onto his record label, Stretch Music, and he wanted to kind of help me release that and and give it a more substantial uh, launching pad. So, ever since then, I've been working with Christian um, pretty closely on on producing new music and. We're actually finishing up work on my second record now. I'm very excited about because there's all sorts of uh, very special artists featuring across the album. And um, Christian's been, a, a, again, another kind of huge part in putting that all together. Yes, yeah, certainly a handy mentor to have. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Now, luckily, you managed to do this tour in 2019 because COVID continues to have a tremendous impact on the music industry. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> well, the the yeah the funny thing was, um, my contract had come to an end uh, at the end of so so my contract came to an end. Then I, as uh, as we mentioned, I I went back to America and spent um, another month or so before coming back to Australia. I would have been in back home in Australia for maybe I came back basically on Christmas. So I would have been here for maybe two months. And then kind of, we, we were hit with the, uh, the virus here, um, in whenever it was February, March. And yeah, things have, (laughs) that whole thing, that whole 2019, the way I spent that year would not have been possible had I done it, had I planned it, you know, X amount of months later. So, um, was very, very fortunate to have the, have that chance to do all those things. And I think, um, had I not gone at that time, had I not been on the cruise, had I not had a chance to spend time with with Christian and, and all those um, really important people uh, or really important in my kind of uh, musical influence and my, my learning, 
Had I not had a chance to do that, I wouldn't have um, had the same opportunities that I have had um, with with producing this music, but releasing it and mm. and having that that platform and that kind of um, the help and the the kind of assistance and learning and and all those things that I've had along the way and and been very uh, kind of lucky to to have those yeah. things. Yeah, no, very lucky that you went when you did. Mm-hmm. How many gigs did you lose? Um, I didn't count them. <laughs> uh, I guess a lot. I was very fortunate to be able to keep teaching. Um, so it, yeah, it wasn't like I went from, um, kind of all to nothing. I, I kind of went from all to, I guess, half. So mm. I definitely wasn't as impacted as, as many other people that I know. It was a, um, a real shame to have to, well, not have the opportunity to be playing music live, but mm. um, I am still, uh, I guess, in a way there is a, for me personally, there's a, um, a positive way of kind of looking at that because that then gave me more time to spend here in my studio producing this music and um, kind of writing writing more of it. So those, those obviously when we were in that first stage of uh, kind of a bit more serious uh situation we uh yeah when we had the the first few lockdowns and and there wasn't really any live music and and there were more restrictions that's when I kind of spent heaps of time writing and and practicing yeah. and was able to kind of develop other areas obviously of um of my craft and not just yeah not just playing gigs so um in a way it was um a great sidestep I suppose a great um way to divert my energy elsewhere and kind of keep learning and do things that I wouldn't have had time to necessarily do or do to the same extent that I was able to do them. Um, but that's kind of, yeah. yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Of course, it's it's not been a it's positive. It's always good to be able to find a positive in the situation, <laughs> yes, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think I think yeah. there are lots of people who've, um, who I've spoken to who who have, yeah, been able to do things and achieve things that they've wanted to do for so long but haven't had the chance to do I guess in a way we can we can step back from the chaos and and be a bit more mindful of or a bit more focused on what is it that I want to get done in this time that I couldn't do before or hadn't thought of doing or, or whatever so yeah it's mm. a it's a different different change of pace changing regulations and venue capacity limits and are we supposed to wear masks in this venue are we supposed to sit down what's going on that kind of thing but yeah yeah, it does make it very hard to plan ahead as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah, totally. It's uh, mm. all kind of up in the air as far as long-term uh, long term plans at the minute, which is scary but also uh, that then makes it easier, I guess, to focus on the now and kind of making the most of what's, what's happening now and the resources that we're, you know, that we have now as opposed to uh, being too focused on what's next and forgetting about the now, so. Yeah, true. How do you prepare yourself before a show? Um, I guess that really depends on the show. If it's, say, a – if it's an eraser description gig, um, then obviously – we all know the music we've, uh, you know, we've all written the music together. So that's usually, uh, we might have a rehearsal beforehand just to run a few things or to try a few new things, or there might be a, a specific part of the gig we need to 
create something for. But usually those sorts of gigs will be pretty we'll be pretty confident just to rock up and play. Um, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of gigs that I do where I don't know the music. And so I'll have to spend some time obviously learning the music, whether that's, uh, you know, listening through, making some kind of scribbled charts, um, just some rough charts, or if it's a very specific detailed, um, you know, performance that needs to be a bit more, uh, I don't know, studio esque, then yeah, it might be a bit more, a bit more involved on the learning side. But, um, Learning the music, listening to the music, trying to um, kind of understand what the what it is the artist wants from me, and then um, just trying to do my best to to support what's being presented, whether it's a, a singer or whether it's a kind of band feature thing or a, a production like a stage show, um, whatever it is, trying to support what people you know paid money to come and see, trying trying to to uh, prioritize that and, and uh, make that why I'm there. All right, Alex, I want you to choose the three most important to you from the following five. Mm-hmm. So we've got groove, creativity, chops, technique and time. Out of those five, which three are most important to you? Um, I guess groove and time are, I guess they're different, but in I guess at the same time they can be the same so i would say uh what would the other so chops so groove uh creativity creativity, chops technique technique. um i guess okay so (laughs) that's a tough one i would say first technique um because uh obviously without without a solid or um efficient natural kind of organic technique uh there's all sorts of problems that can affect any of those things those following things uh, after that, I would say uh, time or groove. I guess time is time can sometimes be more important. Time can sometimes be less important than groove. So I'm going to say either or <laughs> of those two. Uh, let's just say let's just say groove um, mm-hmm. or feel. Feel is a kind of other good word to describe that. Uh, so technique, uh, groove, and then creativity as well. Obviously, I. Yeah, I'm. I'm always wanting to be creative and and kind of approach things from different angles and present things in different ways. And and creativity is something that's uh, very very important to me, and um, something that I guess I'll always be developing and and trying to work on and and that sort of thing. So yeah, those those would be my three: technique, groove, creativity. Great. If you could offer one tip to a new drummer, what would it be? Hmm, another tough one. Uh, one, <laughs> one tip. Um, listen to music. Listen to as much music as you can and be a sponge. And also try and challenge your taste. Like uh, it's so easy to put on things that you enjoy listening to because obviously that makes sense. But um, it can be difficult to, um, and I've found this myself as well, it can be difficult to try and, uh, I guess, diversify what we listen to and, and branch out and, and uh, maybe listen to try and listen to things that we're not as comfortable with or things that we're just less familiar with. That can actually be a challenge. And so I, I yeah, I always really try and encourage people to 
listen to stuff outside of their comfort zone and, and actually uh, it's a great way of finding finding obviously new music but finding new sounds that you have never heard before, finding new styles and, and new artists and kind of gives you gives you a whole different perspective. So um, listen, listen to music. Excellent advice. Who are your top three local drummers? Ooh, local uh, as in Adelaide or South Australia yeah. or yeah. Top three local drummers. That is a really tough one. Um, mm-hmm. Paul Butler, uh, Ben Todd, both of whom mm-hmm. both of whom are uh, kind of Cirque du Soleil guys. So they, I'm um, I'm sure at some point they'll be uh, back overseas. But uh, yeah, Ben Todd, Paul Butler, and oh, that's a really tough one. Um, hmm. That is very tough. I would say, mm, I would say, um, you know what? I'm going to go for one of my earliest teachers, Joel Prime, who is not, Excellent. not anymore in Adelaide, but. <laughs> <laughs> but he was. He was definitely. <laughs> Excellent. If you could invite any musicians to play a concert with you anywhere in the world, who would you call? Where would it be held? And I'm guessing it's going to be some form of a, a jazz fusion-y sort of a performance. Mm. Um, that's a great, a great question. I would want to play... Uh, hmm... <laughs> Maybe Carnegie Hall mm. with, uh, I would choose Christian Scott, Atunde Ajua. I would choose Herbie Hancock. I would choose Derek Hodge on bass. I would choose, okay, so what is that? That's keys, horn, bass. Mm. I would choose Weedy Brimer on uh, to join me on percussion, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe someone else. Maybe Robert Glasper as well. <laughs> another okay. another keys player. Excellent. I like that question. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Sometimes people resurrect people for it, and yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't think I didn't think of interesting that. Interesting combinations. It's good. <laughs> oh, in that case, <laughs> no let's, two add, let's, are the same. let's add Miles Davis to. Uh, in that case, let's add. Oh yeah, Miles why Davis. not? <laughs> yeah. Is there something that you've really tried to play that you couldn't get right, or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? Uh, always. Um, just about every time I sit down at the drums. Um, I'm never, never quite hundred percent satisfied, but that's, I guess that's what you want because that's going to, that's going to be what, uh, makes you motivated to keep practicing. I suppose it changes, uh, from day to day at the moment, something that I'm trying to kind of push past is, um, I guess it's a, a mix of, of creativity and, um, muscle. So, uh, yeah, something that I, can't play I don't know if that's the best way of describing it I am not uh currently like today and the past I don't know week or two I've not been 
uh, as satisfied with hand speed and um, kind of specifically improvising um, around the kit um, yeah. hand speed stuff. So yeah, I've been I've been working on that, but that's uh, yeah, that's that's changing all the time. <laughs> so it's hard yeah. to, uh, but yeah, there's there's always things always. Um, always going to be something that I'm definitely not satisfied with or something I'm wanting to improve or, or get right or get better at, improve at. Do you ever get bored with your own playing? Um, that's another great question. I do. And I think I feel like people don't talk about that much, but uh, yes, I do. I do actually get um, bored with my own playing and I, I, like it's partly playing, but I also find that the acoustics of an environment or the the actual tone of a kit uh, or a, a particular um, setup or whatever is is also a contributing factor. So if I'm practicing or if I'm playing, let's say I'm playing a gig and it's a, a small gig, so I've brought a small kit and let's say it's in a very big big room, so the acoustics are also not maybe ideal. Those factors. <laughs> generally less kind of um, pleasing to me. So so I will get, um, I don't know if bored is, yeah, I guess I guess bored is a, is a way of describing that. I will, I will kind of just not be as into it and, and uh, over time it will just get a bit bit more mundane. Um, whereas other times, yeah, yeah playing a more, maybe maybe it's the, the setup, but it doesn't always have to be the, the size of the setup. I'm, um, I really like Obviously, approaching things from a creative, uh, creative wing, sorry, creative way of playing, but at the same time, the actual sound and the tone is equally as kind of important to me. So, if I'm playing a drum kit that just sounds like any other drum kit, that's not as inter- interesting and not as inspiring to me um, as if you know I would have put uh, all sorts of uh, might be a, a piece of metal or a, a something some sounds if I stack some symbols and things like that and just get some more um at least to my ears more creative more interesting tones and and sounds and textures that will inspire my my playing more and so I I tend to play better and be more in the moment and more interesting and more spontaneous when uh the actual sound choices and the the sounds being produced are pleasing to my ears and are kind of challenging my um I guess challenging my thought process or my kind of uh, spontaneity. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I, to long, long story short, yes, I, d- I definitely get bored uh, every now and again of my own my own playing. Okay. Do you have any endorsements? Um, I'm currently uh, I'm currently working with Meinl um, Stick and Brush Company over in. They're mm-hmm. a German a German company, kind of like a I guess a a sub a sub part of sub company of Meinl. Um, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, one of my, one of my favorite symbol manufacturers. Um, the reason I'm kind of not at the moment looking to, um, work with other, cause I, I don't, I don't have a problem at all with, um, other companies and things like that, but, uh, drums and cymbals at the moment is something I'm still very much experimenting with. And, uh, I don't want to don't want to necessarily lock myself in a into one yeah, yeah into a box yeah. and I'm kind of restricted because just like on the previous point about getting bored um, if I don't change things up with my setup with my um, 
sounds quite often, then I do start to feel my, my playing gets, I suppose, more repetitive and, and uh, feels more stale, more, more um, less fresh to myself. So uh, that's, mm. what, yeah, that's why I really like kind of changing, changing things up and always looking for different, different sounds. And uh, at this point in time, um, it just doesn't make sense to me to, um, yeah, to just stick to one particular brand of something or um, that being said, yeah, as I said, working with minor sticks, well, um, currently the, the stick that I feel the most myself with is, um, is, um, a particular model of, of theirs. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the reason that I kind of am working with them. But apart from that free choice for, <laughs> for whatever I want to play. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. How many bands and projects are you involved with on a regular basis at the moment? Um, on a regular basis, um, well, yeah, I guess because a lot of the stuff I am involved with is a lot of the stuff is either one-off or uh, a small run of shows, or it's very spread out and maybe maybe it's the same band, but maybe just very infrequently. So regular stuff. There's um, Lenny, who's Lennon uh, Garrido, I think it's how you say his last name. Um, he's uh, he's a Chilean. Um, kind of singer, guitarist, songwriter here, and uh, I'm playing in his band pretty regularly at the moment. Rob Edwards, um, uh, his um, yeah, he has he has um, indigenous ancestry, and he's he's writing really beautiful music, um, producing actually two new singles at the moment. So um, really enjoying playing in his band. A Razor Description obviously isn't a kind of ever ever-evolving kind of ongoing thing. We have a couple of mm-hmm. uh, really exciting shows coming up later this year. And then what else is regular? Um, Mary Stems is another group, kind of like a funk, R&B, soul, um, good vibes kind of kind of band. But, um, yeah, not heaps with them, but just a few things here and there in the last uh, the last month and over the next month or so so I would say that's semi regular pretty much all original music actually which is it's a it's a great um a great challenge and a great um experience to play other people's music and uh, think of things from try and think of things from their perspective and what they are wanting me to sound like or what what role they're wanting me to kind of play in their own music so that's yeah I really enjoy um playing other artists music as well as my own Excellent. Where do you see yourself in the next ten years? Ten years—that's a long, that's a that's a big amount of time to think ahead. Uh, I would love to be back overseas um, because that's something mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about. Obviously, just traveling in general and and experiencing other places and cities and cultures, but as well as um, I something that's uh, uh, always been an ambition of mine is to be performing uh, overseas and obviously something I have done but in in that context it was you know I was part of their show and and it had to be done a certain way whereas I'd love I'd love to be able to kind of take my own show or my own band over overseas and do a run of festivals in Europe or or the states or both um, or all over really I would I would go anywhere to <laughs> to play music um, but I'd also um, I'd love to I guess move move somewhere overseas and and kind of have a crack at um, 
you know, living and working in a different city and building a new network of, not that there's anything wrong with, uh, wrong with my network in Adelaide. I'm very, very lucky to be kind of working with the people that I'm working with here and, and very lucky to be busy playing music. But, um, I think, yeah, a, a, a great next step and kind of next, next challenge and to challenge myself and, and, uh, my playing in my career would be to, yeah, head overseas and, um, kind of work with some different people in in a different country that maybe speaks a different language. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Excellent. What do you hope to have achieved before you do lay down the sticks for the last time? Um Well that's a that's a that's a yeah, that's a big question. Um mm. what do I hope to um well really I play music because I obviously enjoy it and it's something that I'm very mm. passionate about and I guess my my biggest hope is that I'm just always as driven and and passionate about music as I am now and as I have been for you know the past x amount of years so I hope yeah I hope that I'm able to um kind of continue that because I know that um that kind of drive and that that passion and uh that fire in my in my belly is kind of what then sparks uh you know me to create things and and chase opportunities and chase people and hunt down opportunities for myself so uh if i'm able to continue that then um i'm sure there'll be all sorts of interesting things and interesting people and opportunities that i'm able to able to be a part of but at this stage yeah i just um i hope that that uh drive continues and I'm sure it will. I don't, I don't have any doubt that I'll, you know, lose interest, uh, in, in, uh, in playing music or, or being a part of, uh, being a part of other people's music. But, um, at this stage, that's kind of what, that's what I'm wanting is to, to be able to just sustain this and, and keep doing it for as long as I can. Excellent. My sophomore album that I've been working on, working closely with Christian Scott Atunda Edgewa on, um, that is called the space between the album. And it's again, sort of, uh, looking at and exploring, exploring, uh, a diverse kind of tapestry of music from all over the world, kind of bringing it together and melding it all together in a, in a, through a kind of contemporary, um, contemporary lens, I suppose. So it's, it's really, yeah, bringing this music together and exploring it through jazz and improvisation and hip hop and contemporary production and electronic music and, and beat music and things like that. So, um, featuring, uh, all sorts of really, really incredible artists from all over the globe. I don't know if I should, maybe I won't name artists yet. Cause I don't know when this will be published as they haven't been announced, but anyway, the album will be out on stretch music via Repidote records at the end of, uh, 2021. So yeah, very, very excited about that one. Mm, excellent. A few years ago, I was um I was given a scholarship to study tabla with um Salah Nader who is mm-hmm. actually a tabla student of um the grand guru Zakir Hussain um and he's he's been my kind of tabla hero uh for years and so to learn from a student of his that have, having that direct lineage um was an incredible um kind of experience and connection but um, yeah, I had online, online tabla lessons for, for close to two years with Salah and I was able to meet Salah in, in New York city at the blue note, um, and see him, see him play with Stanley Clark. Um, 
again, another one of my favorite bands, the Stanley Clark mm. band, that kind of, uh, obviously I've been playing tabla, uh, not kind of, um, not so much the theoretical side of things, but the, the technical side of things, as far as the hands go, I've been playing for a number of years. And so actually starting formal lessons and having, um, having to dive into the theory side of things has been a huge, uh, learning curve for me. It's so, so very different to the, um, to Western kind of music systems and notation and, uh, just thinking and, and, and the way of, uh, you know, subdividing things and breaking things up and counting things and mathematically resolving phrases and, and symmetry and opposites and things. It's a really, really beautiful, in-depth, incredibly, incredibly detailed, but at the same time, incredibly difficult system of music. So that's been a huge challenge, but also um, a great, a great challenge for me to um, start on. I've only scratched the surface with the uh, the Hindustani classical music, but it's been a, a beautiful journey um, so far. So yeah, mm. excellent. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Alex 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, Alex? Uh, I think so. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Your time starts now. What was the first song you learnt to play? Uh, Honestly, couldn't remember. Uh, Probably just a drum solo by my first teacher, Jim McCarthy. Okay. Which American jazz fusion drummer was inducted into the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame in 2000? In 2000? Uh, I'm ashamed to say I have no idea again. I'm sorry. Dave Weckl. Dave Weckl. I should, yeah. Um, yeah, that would have been my first what guess. Was the, <laughs> what was the first album that you purchased? Uh, first album that I purchased was uh, Black Eyed Peas. I think the album is called Monkey Business. Okay, excellent. Name a band you wish you'd seen play live. Uh, Miles Davis, second quintet. So 60s, Tony Williams. In 2018, Nate Smith released his first ever solo drum set album. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it was called? Uh, Pocket Change? Correct. Oh, wow, okay. (laughs) The most sticks that you've dropped during a gig? Uh, One, (laughs) maybe one, yeah. How many Grammy Awards has the American instrumental ensemble Snark Puppy won? Uh, Snarky Puppy, wow, maybe like four? Yep. Great. What was the first concert that you went to? Oh, I don't remember. Maybe uh, maybe one of the um, Australia's Ultimate Drummer Weekend uh, tour shows in at the Gov here in Adelaide, seeing, uh, seeing uh, drummers kind of do clinics. <laughs> Excellent. Name a famous drummer that you'd like to meet. Uh, Vinny Colaiuta. Your favourite song to play? Uh, maybe an eraser description song. I can't think of I can't think of a name, but eraser description music. Okay. Uh, your favourite album? Ooh, that's a very tough one. Uh, at the moment, my favourite album. What is my favourite album? Oh, out of time. Yep, we're out of time. That was a, a miserable <laughs> effort, but that was very slow. 
Oh, thank you once again, Alex, for joining me for the Bandit About podcast today. You've been great to chat to and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. Oh, thanks very much for uh, having me on. It's been a, been a great chat and I uh, really enjoyed the questions. Oh, I'm glad you did and thank you for joining me. Thanks very much. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes and if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me, Di, banded about, proudly supporting live music. Bye.